it's possible to not uh, be completely dictated to by your circumstances. It's possible to be more than an overcomer, more than a conqueror. And the Word of God teaches us that if we will know Jesus Christ for ourselves, He will give us everything we need. He will give us everything we need to live a victorious life. Tonight, I want to talk about the way, the way. Um, I'm going to make a claim, and then I'm going to back it up with Scripture, and then I want to teach three reasons why it matters, and then I want to teach about what's at stake. So I'm going to make a claim, back it up with Scripture, teach three reasons why it matters in the first place, and then I want to talk before we conclude tonight about what's at stake. The early church, the earliest church in the book of Acts, referred to themselves as the way. Have you ever noticed that in the book of Acts? It shows up in multiple places. I want to take you to Acts chapter 9, for starters. As you're turning there, uh, the church called themselves the way. It was a self-designation. It's something, it's how they referred to themselves. The book of Acts makes it clear in multiple places that in the earliest days of the church, that's how they referred to themselves. Acts chapter 9, <clears throat> verse 1 says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So in those two verses, you find there's two ways that they would refer to themselves. The first is the way, and the other way that they would describe themselves is as disciples. Disciples. I mentioned that on Sunday night. I mentioned how at youth camp there was one of our speakers who, in a room of about 300 people, asked if any of them were disciples of Jesus Christ and Brother Burke, there was about 20 that raised their hand, and they did it very sheepishly. And then the speaker asked the question again, Sister April, and when the speaker asked the question again, that means you're supposed to answer yes. And still, there were only a small percentage of the people in attendance who raised their hand, and they did it almost with some hesitation. And it's, it was alarming, because... That's fundamentally who we are. We are disciples. We are followers of Jesus Christ. And this is the way that the early church presented themselves. Acts chapter 18. I, I, I'm, I'm making a claim, and now I'm, I'm going to back it up with Scripture. We were in Acts chapter 9. Turn with me to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, verse 24. Says, Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he broke and taught, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Acts chapter 19, just the next page over, probably for you and your Bible. Acts chapter 19, verses. 8 and 9 says that he went into the synagogue 
and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. Just a few verses later, still in Acts chapter 19, verse 22 says, So he went into Macedonia, two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. And about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. Acts chapter 22, verse 4. Acts chapter 22, verse 4. This is the Apostle Paul before Felix and the governors and the high authorities. And he is testifying of himself and telling his story. And Paul says, I persecuted this way to the death. Binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Two chapters later, Acts chapter 24. I hope I'm not belaboring the point, but I want to make it clearly. This is, this is the way that the church designated themselves, how they referred to themselves, how they thought of themselves in the early days. Acts chapter 24, but I can, verse 14. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets. Just a few verses later, same chapter, Acts 24, verse 22. But when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings. This is the way that the church spoke about themselves. When Luke wrote the Acts of the Apostles, he was sure to include many of the instances that we've just read together in your hearing, begs the question, where did this come from? Why did they choose this? We, we pick all kinds of names for our churches today. We have different ways of designating different denominations and different belief systems. Uh, there's even labels that we use to describe people who have any kind of belief in Jesus Christ. We call ourselves believers. We call ourselves Christians. But you don't really find a lot of that kind of language in the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts. Most commonly, you find them describing themselves as the way and as disciples. Where did this come from? Well, it comes from the very chapter that Brother Walker ministered from on Sunday morning, Isaiah chapter 40. Most people believe that the early church picked up this way of designating themselves from Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3, this is the same chapter that talks about those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Earlier in the chapter, in verse 3, the prophet Isaiah says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. You may be more familiar with those words as they were spoken by John the Baptist in the New Testament. In fact, all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all record John the Baptist speaking those words. He is quoting the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was prophesying about John the Baptist and the one that he was there to announce, Jesus Christ. John the Baptist spoke these words. And he spoke them as someone who knew what his role and knew his function. He was the forerunner of the Messiah. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. 
This is what John the Baptist was come to do. John the Baptist was the fulfillment of those words by the prophet Isaiah. John the Baptist knew it to be so. He knew who he was. He knew who, what he was there to do. He was not there to be the way. John the Baptist was not the way, but he was there to make the way available to everybody else. He was there to announce the way. And the early church knew that. They knew where they got their start. They traced it all the way back to the prophet Isaiah. They looked at John the Baptist. They saw the ministry of John the Baptist as essential to Jesus coming onto the scene. They saw Jesus coming onto the scene as the one through whom God was going to accomplish his will in the earth. And they said, when it came time for Jesus to empower them with the gift of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and for them to be the church, they took up that label and they said, we are the people of the way. The way. Jesus, during his earthly ministry, spoke as much. John chapter 14, Jesus makes it abundantly clear exactly who he is and what he is about. John chapter 14, verse 4, Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Talking tonight about the way, talking about how this is what the church in the Bible times knew about themselves. They knew on a deep fundamental level that this is who they were. They were a people of the way. Isaiah preached about the way in the Old Testament. John the Baptist came on the scene and preached on the banks of the Jordan River, baptizing and announcing that the way was about to emerge onto the world scene. One day Jesus crossed over the horizon and John pointed at him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. He announced that the way was present. Jesus came onto the scene and started conducting his earthly ministry. And then in John 14, he makes it abundantly clear and says, I am the way. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. You're talking about the, in my father's house are many mansions and you've gone to prepare a place for us. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know what you're talking about. We don't know where you're going and we don't know the way. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. Even the outsiders, even those who were not among Jesus' disciples, knew that Jesus was preaching and teaching the way of God. I know that because in Mark chapter 12, some of the people that were against Jesus sent to him some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch Jesus up in his words. Mark chapter 12, verse 13. Verse 14 says, when they had come to Jesus to catch him up in his words, they said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and that you care about no one. For you do not regard the person of men, but you teach the way of God. This is Jesus' opponents. And even they had to confess that what Jesus was saying and doing was the true way from God. I'm here to present to you today that Jesus is the way. He is the way. There is no way but Jesus. I want to teach about three different things now that we've 
made this claim. We've established that this is the way that the church thought of themselves and how we can and should think of ourselves. I need to teach a few things. Number one, I just said it, Jesus is the way. Someone who is following the way of Jesus is called a disciple. You need to know that about yourself. It's something that you need to know. Over and over in the New Testament, the people that were closely connected to Jesus were called disciples. You see it all over the place. The disciples, certain disciples, those disciples, a few disciples, 500 disciples, 120 disciples, 12 disciples, 70 disciples. Don't relegate the, the, the language of discipleship to just those original 12 guys. You're selling the word way short because in the New Testament, certainly that word does talk about those 12, those original 12. But time and time again, 70 disciples, 120 disciples, 500 disciples, certain disciples. It's all over the place. It's clearly meant to be a description of anybody that lives for the Lord, the disciples. Being a, being a disciple is the core fundamental identity of a person who's been born again of the water and of the Spirit. If you've been born again, if you've experienced the new birth, as outlined in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, you are, you should be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And discipleship is when Jesus' way becomes your way. That's as simple as I can make it. Why take the time and, 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 and hammer out that Jesus is the way? Why take the time and read all those passages from the book of Acts and make sure that we have understanding tonight that the early church thought of themselves as people of the way because it was absolutely bedrock fundamental to their identity and how they thought of themselves. They knew that Jesus was the way and they thought of themselves as those who were following after Jesus in the way. They wanted Jesus' way to become their way. You may be asking yourself, is this for me? Yes, it is for you. Taking on the identity, the position, the role of a disciple is for every person who's been born again of the water and of the spirit. Now, I want to be, be gentle, but maybe you're thinking when you hear the word disciple, because you may, you may have already realized that the word disciple has a lot in common with the word discipline. I'm not going to get into any of that tonight, but maybe that's for another night. You may, have, you may be hearing this and thinking, that sounds intense. It sounds a little more intense than what I'm used to. But what we're talking about tonight when we talk about the way and we talk about being a disciple is what we're really talking about is the lifelong pursuit of godliness, the lifelong pursuit of God and his character. You may be thinking tonight, hearing this and thinking, I don't know if I'm good enough for that right now. Christians and disciples don't live godly lives in order to be saved. We live godly lives because we are saved. I'm going to say that again because that's good, that's good for your soul to hear it. We don't live godly lives because we, in order to be saved. We live godly lives because we are saved. 
One of the diagnostics that I can use to tell if a person has a, a, a good understanding of what I'm talking about right now and whether they're thinking correctly about this is to ask them, are you a Christian or are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? And if the person responds and says, well, I think so, I think I am, then they've misunderstood what it is to be a disciple or to be a Christian. They've latched on to an inferior and an incorrect understanding of what Jesus is calling them to be and do. And that answer, that answer when someone asks you, are you a Christian? Are, are, you, are you a disciple? Are you, are, you, are you living for the Lord? And you answer, ah, yeah, I think. I think so. I'm trying. That comes from a mindset that born-again people are supposed to be perfect all of a sudden. And we're not. Born-again people are not perfect. Disciples are not perfect. Christians are, I mean, have you ever read the gospel? Have you ever seen these guys in action? Have you ever read some of the things that Simon Peter said? I mean, goodness sakes, we'd excommunicate people over that stuff. And, you know, and, and dismiss them from our ranks sometime. I mean, you know, it's like it's, there's some wild stuff that happens. And um, it's much better to understand salvation as the way, as a path of pursuit. When Brother Holloway was here, Earlier this spring, he described, I, I remember because it, the light bulb came on for me, he, he spent some time on one of the evenings talking about confession and repentance. And, and he, took, he took a little time and he camped out there. And I want to stop there tonight because it's relevant to what I'm describing. Repentance, as you probably know and as we have taught many times, repentance is a change of direction. I'm going this direction. I'm not going to start running like Brother Ben on Sunday morning. He's got more energy than me. But repentance is I'm going this direction, and then when you repent, you turn, and you go the other direction. Correct? Correct. That's repentance. Brother Holloway was teaching, and he was teaching about the difference between repentance and confessing your sins and being forgiven. It was a helpful distinction because if you have to repent every day, it means at some point in that day, you do an about face and you start walking away from God. It's more helpful to think of it that when you make a mistake, you need to confess, ask for forgiveness, receive forgiveness, and move on. Now, if you do get turned around the wrong direction, by all means, do an about face and fully repent. But sometimes, sometimes sinning and, and, and falling short doesn't look like a complete 180. Sometimes it looks like this. Like we fell down. Sometimes we need to confess. We need to get back up. We need to make sure we're still headed in the right direction. And we need to get back to walking. And that's what discipleship is about. It's not always about having to do constant. It's not like we're in a whirlpool and we're doing a constant re repenting and going back and forth. Brother Holloway taught about that. I thought it was helpful. It's a different, they're different things altogether. Now, if, if you are going the opposite direction of God, if you, are, if you are openly sinning, willfully sinning, 
repeatedly sinning, then you do truly need to repent. You need to do a 180 and you need to about face. If you have a moment that's not your best moment and you fall short in sin, and it's not an open act of rebellion against God, and it's not repeated sin that is open in your life and unchecked and unaddressed, it might just be that you need to confess, you need to dust yourself off, you need to get up, and you need to keep walking in the way as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about discipleship and being a disciple of Jesus. We've made it more, I love that verse in Ecclesiastes, I won't quote it the way that it appears in the Bible, because I can never remember exactly how it's worded. Different translations do it differently. But it basically says, God made man simple, but we've made things very complicated. How true is that? Following the Lord, living for the Lord, does not have to be a complicated ordeal. It's actually very simple. The early church laid hold of it, and they simply called it the way way. Jesus is the way. Here's why it matters. It matters, number one, because when you follow after the way and you are a disciple of Jesus, you become acquainted with the real Jesus. The real Jesus. A lot of people inside and outside of the church have made up a Jesus for themselves. You've heard Bishop talk about it. I believe it to be true, too. A lot of people inside and outside the church have created a Jesus, fabricated a Jesus that they've just made up for themselves. It's an invented Jesus that really doesn't make any real demands on them. Brothers and sisters, that's not the real Jesus. A, a surface-level reading of the New Testament will tell you that the real Jesus makes demands on us. He has this uncomfortable habit of challenging people. Sometimes you read what Jesus said, and it seems radical, it seems unfair, it seems like Jesus has a very bad case of ill timing. And the fact is that Jesus' way, not much about it is convenient. It's, it's very simple to understand, but there's not often much about it that's convenient. Very early in Jesus' ministry, with his original 12 disciples, he had a few of those interactions with people that were very inconvenient, that were very radical feeling, that the timing felt off, and sometimes it felt a little unfair. You read the first four chapters of the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, Jesus finds Nathanael under the fig tree. Nathanael is chilling under the fig tree, minding his own business. Jesus walks up and turns his entire world upside down. Like Nathaniel's on his lunch break, and Jesus calls him into the ministry. There's not a lot that's convenient about that. John chapter 2, second, last part of John chapter 2, Jesus goes and cleanses the temple. How many like that story? I like the part where Jesus personally makes the whip. Like he doesn't go and buy one from the store. It says that he made it, and then he goes on into the temple, whipping on everybody and driving all the money changers out. That is a traditional religious environment. There's order, there's, thing, there's the way it's supposed to be, and here comes Jesus like a bull in a china shop, just 
creating a disaster zone out of the place. And that's what he needed to do, but there was nothing convenient about it. There was nothing pretty about it. The timing must not have probably didn't feel right. It seemed pretty radical. Like, Jesus, couldn't we open up a channel of diplomacy with these people first? Couldn't we call a meeting first with all the money changers and see if we can't just bring them to their senses before you take the whip to them? Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't do it that way. Jesus has his own way. John chapter 3. Jesus has this long interview with a man named Nicodemus. When does it happen? At night. Not how many have ever had the Lord deal with them about praying about something in the middle of the night, right? Is there anything convenient about it? No. Did you have it worked into your schedule beforehand? No. Did you, did you take a nap earlier in the day so that you could be prepared for that moment? No. It's not often the most convenient, but it's the way. It's the way that Jesus does it. John chapter 4. Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at a well. Number one, she's Samaritan. They're not supposed to talk to each other. They're not even supposed to look at each other. They don't like each other at all. Number two, it's in the middle of the day. Has anyone been to the Middle East? I haven't either, but it looks hot. It looks hot all the time. It looks really hot in the middle of the day. They're out there in the middle of the day at a well. Nothing convenient about it. In fact is, as inconvenient as it may have been for Jesus in his flesh, it was more inconvenient for her because she was trying to stay below the radar. She did not want to have conversations. She did not want to meet Jesus that day. She was trying to stay out of public view. But there, at the well, she met Jesus. It wasn't very convenient. In the eyes of his disciples, it was pretty radical. It was pretty out of touch with what they considered to be the norm. The timing was not very good. But because of the way Jesus did things, these people came into contact with the real Jesus. You see, it's not the fabricated Jesus. It's not the one we invent for ourselves that makes no demands on us and has the same personality type as you do and that has all the same hobbies as you and all the same priorities as you and runs on the same schedule and calendar as you. Brothers and sisters, that's not Jesus. That's not him. That's not him at all. These individuals, though, because they stepped into the way, they came into contact with the real Jesus. Do you think Nicodemus was anticipating that answer about being born again? No. You can tell by Nicodemus' responses. There wasn't anything about what Jesus was saying that Nicodemus anticipated hearing. But he met the real Jesus, and he surprised him. He gave him the real answer. I don't think that woman at the well anticipated seeing anybody at the well that day. But because she lingered, and because she drew some water for Jesus and carried on in a conversation with him, her life was changed forever. And at the end of that interaction, she went back to the city as the evangelist, telling the people, I've met the prophet. I've met him, and he knows everything about me. Surely he must be the one. 
that is the Messiah of Israel, the Savior of the world. When we walk in the way and when we take on the, the mantle of discipleship and we allow Jesus' way to become our way, we can finally meet the real Jesus and not the one that we invent in our imagination. The second thing, the reason that this matters, is because it's an identity shift. Sunday, we ministered, Brother Walker ministered about life. I ministered in the evening about mastering life. And I said this on Sunday night. Sometimes we can get in the place where we act like a chameleon. I said that on Sunday night, and it seemed to resonate. Everyone seemed to know what I was talking about. A chameleon is uh, one of those, I should have got a picture. It's one of those lizard animals that you've probably seen. It changes the colors and blends into its environment and just becomes whatever it's around. Sometimes people can be like chameleons. And sometimes you can be like the last person you were around. Anyone ever fell, fell uh, victim to that? You kind of come to yourself and you're like, why am I acting that way? Why am I talking that way? Or maybe you have to, maybe a friend of yours or family member, you kind of have to call them out on it. What that is, is it's a very mild form of letting your circumstances determine your identity. You become what you've been through instead of becoming what Jesus is creating you to be. When you're in the way, when you're following after him as a disciple, you actually stand a chance at becoming the person that God called you to be. But if you are just drifting and you're not purposefully pursuing him, you will take on the characteristics of every storm, every circumstance, and every group that you're around instead of becoming more like him. You take on that chameleon approach to life. And what, what this identity shift is when we're talking about discipleship is it means that we're breaking away from not just a secular and a worldly identity, and we need to do that. There needs to be a clean break, amen? We're not supposed to be like the world. We're supposed to live different. The best way you can do it is by following after Jesus. But it also means breaking away from another kind of identity. The identity of tradition, religion, nominal Christianity, social Christianity, cultural Christianity where everybody, I mean, we could poll Butler County. I don't know if we'd find anybody that said they was a sinner. Because we live in the Bible Belt. It's cultural Christianity. It's low commitment Christianity. I'm trying to be gentle, but that's what it is. That's not the kind of relationship that God has called us into. He is calling us into a high standard of discipleship and following after him. It's when Jesus' way becomes your way. The call of Jesus has always been beyond belief. It means to accept his way, to conform to his way, and to live his way. The third reason why it matters is that it's a reality check for us. When we start talking about discipleship, when we introduce the language of the way and disciple, those words are more foreign to us. They don't fit into our religious vocabulary as easily, and we don't throw them around quite so lightly. 
Amen? And when that happens, it becomes a reality check for us. And it causes us to think, for all the activity in my life, for all the things that I'm doing and all the things that I'm involved in, how much actual following Jesus is taking place? I know there's a lot of religious activity. I know there's a lot of checking in at church and and doing the motions and the things that I've learned represent the norms in in the group that I run with. But for all of that activity... How much actual following after Jesus am I doing in my life? It's the reality check, isn't it? It shouldn't surprise us because Jesus said that's the way it was going to be. A little commentary on the days, on the times we live in. We depersonalize everything. We want to compartmentalize everything. You can't have an impersonal relationship with God. You can't have a secondhand relationship with Jesus. You know who brought Simon Peter to Jesus? Andrew. Andrew, his brother. But Simon Peter needed his own relationship with Jesus. He was not going to get to know Jesus through Andrew. Simon Peter was not going to be counted among the disciples because his brother followed Jesus and had a close relationship with him. It was only going to be because Simon Peter decided, I am going to answer the call and personally follow Jesus. God will not be known as an object or an artifact. He can only be known as a person. He's alive. He's living. He has personality. He speaks. And that is the only way that he can be known. The only way you can know him is in a one-on-one relationship. It is the only way. And it's a reality check. And it hits us right in our flesh every time. No matter how long we've been living for God, no matter where we are in our relationship with God, it never ceases to hit us right between the eyes every time we start talking about the way and talking about discipleship and getting down into the nitty-gritty of what it is to actually live for God. It never ceases to strike the bullseye. We cannot know God through an intermediary. We cannot know him through a priest. We cannot know him through a pastor. We need a preacher, thank God for preaching, but we cannot, we can hear about God through the preaching, but we cannot know God through the preaching. I'm going to say it again. You, You can hear about God through the preaching, but you will never know God through the preaching. It's not possible. That channel is not open. The only channel that is open to you for knowing Jesus Christ is the channel of being a disciple. Now, I don't don't presume to make an indictment against anybody. But what I do call on you to do this evening is to examine yourself. Whether you be in the faith whether you be in the way, 
2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church. It's a church like this one. These were sanctified people. These were born-again people. He wrote to them. And he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. God will only by, be known by someone who seeks him. Who seeks him. He will never be known by someone who simply stumbles into him. That's why he says in the scriptures, you can seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Here's what the stakes are. I've made a claim, backed it up with scripture. I've tried to give you three reasons why it matters. It matters because each and every one of us wants to have a relationship with the real Jesus and not the invented Jesus of our imagination or our culture. It matters because we almost always need an identity adjustment because we live in a part of the world where it's very easy to fall into the routine of being a nominal Christian with low commitment and sometimes on a regular basis, we just need to be called higher, amen? I said we need to be called higher. We need to be challenged. We need that identity shift. It matters, thirdly, because there's many times, myself, chief among them, that we need a reality check. We need to examine ourselves. We need to look at ourselves and say, for all of the activity and all of the busyness and all the things I think that I'm doing for God, how much actually following Jesus is really taking place in the middle of all that. The reality check. Here's what the stakes are. What would things look like if you decided to, instead of hearing what the Holy Ghost has been leading us to tonight, instead of answering the high call of discipleship, what if you decided instead to have a casual relationship with Jesus and never really lock into that life of a disciple? What if you never really what if you never really allowed Jesus' way to become your way? What if you experienced the new birth? You were born again, repented, born again of the water, baptism in Jesus' name filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues. But after that, you never really allowed Jesus' way to become your way. What, would the, what are the stakes for something like that? I think Jesus couldn't make it any more clear. Stand with me. I think he makes it abundantly clear exactly what that would look like in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, some of the disciples, some of the crowd is asking Jesus some questions, and then Jesus utters those famous words, and he tells them that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, 
will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. I think those are the stakes. I think those are the stakes that we're presented with when we're deciding, when you are examining yourself, when I am examining myself, and I'm asking myself, am I going to have a casual relationship with Jesus Christ, or am I going to go all in and say I'm a person of the way, and I'm going to follow him as closely as I can. When I make a mistake, I'm going to dust myself off. I'm going to get forgiven over it. If necessary, I'll get repented over it. And I'm going to keep on going. I've said it before. I feel led to say it right now just to encourage somebody. It's not always, it's, it's not always about where you are. More often, it's about what direction you're pointed there's going to be a bunch of people that when the, Lord, when the trumpet sounds and the Lord returns and calls his saints in church home, there's going to be a lot of people that are, pointing, that are pointed the right direction, but they're right at the starting line. <laughs> they're right at the start. They're not way over there. They're way back here, but they're pointed the right direction, and they're going to make it. There's going to be a lot of people that are way out here. And they're going to make it too. Tragically, there's going to be some people that have lived for God this whole distance, that have been living for God this whole distance, and had all the religious trappings and all the activity and all the things, but they're really, the Lord doesn't know them. I said it on Sunday night. I'll come full circle as we close tonight. Paul wrote to Timothy, says, I, I suffer many things, but I'm not ashamed because I know him in whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him until that day. It's about knowing him. It's about knowing him. The Apostle Paul said that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering got to know him. Let's lift up our hands in this place right now. I feel the Holy Ghost here right now just challenging us, prompting us. We don't have any music right now, but can you lift up your voice all over this room right now and just create a prayer room atmosphere in this sanctuary right now? Come on, some seasoned saints cry out right now. Let's get into alignment with God. There's a lot of spiritual maturity in this room right now. But the Holy Ghost is challenging us right now and calling us even higher. Oh, would you just, come on, these altars are open right now. If you want to move out of where you're at, I hear some prayers going up right now. I feel prayers rising up in my spirit. I just want to, I want to be closer to him than I've ever been. Come on, would someone step out in faith right now and just step out of where you are? Let's create an atmosphere of just a prayer room in this sanctuary, an environment where we're just talking to God and we're examining ourselves. You don't have to, you don't have to worry about anyone listening to you or watching you. There's no one doing that right now, and if they are, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna walk out of here before too long anyways. But if you're hungry after God and you're saying, God... I've got to cut away some of the things that have accumulated onto my life. I want to follow you. 
Hitarono mosha tarroko tol romo ha mosha tarrono moha. Hitarosho no mokata. Come on, come on. He's calling you into the way right now. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is death. But God, Jesus, is calling you into his way. He is the way. He is the truth, and he is the life. There is none beside him. Come on, you can go all in. You can, you can go all in with him right now. You can trust him with everything you have, all of your circumstances, all of your inadequacies, all of your insecurities, all of your past, all of your future. You can trust him with everything that's going on in the present tense. It doesn't matter what it is. You can give it to Jesus right now and say, Lord, I'm all in. I'm all in. Lord, I want your way to become my way. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in a week. It's going to take longer than a month or a year. But Lord, I want to de- rededicate myself to a lifelong pursuit of you. I want to follow you, God. Come on, someone needs to pray right now and say, God, order my steps. I've been doing things my way, and I want my steps to be ordered by you. I want to do it your way, Jesus. Lord, if there's something in my life, some category in my life, that is unsubmitted, if there's something that hasn't been changed by you yet, if there's something that I haven't given you access yet, God, I would that you would knock on the door of my heart right now and that, Lord, you'd identify it for me and help me to step into the fullness of what you have for me, Jesus. Come on, there's a, there's a dad right now. There's a grandfather right now. You need to be lifting up your voice and crying out to the Lord because the way, the steps that you take there's others that are going to follow in those steps. Come on, mom and grandma. There's someone, there's someone watching your steps that they're wanting to put their footprint inside of your footprint. Why don't you just cry out to the Lord and say, God, I want to get closer to you. There's people watching me, Lord. There's coworkers, there's family members, there's friends, there's brothers and sisters in the Lord. Lord, I need to do right. I need to be better. I want to draw closer to you than I've ever been.